The views and opinions expressed here on Wrestling Wind Down are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, organization, employer, or company. What's up, guys? It's Lo, and you are tuned in to Wrestling Wind Down, a female-founded and hosted podcast dedicated to professional wrestling and our favorite adult beverage. Welcome to the second episode of our newest series, The Life of a Wrestling Fan, where we chat with extraordinary individuals who have amazing careers who also happen to be professional wrestling fans. I am honored to be joined by Mimi Shells, who has served as an executive assistant at companies including Moet Hennessy, Samsung, BET, and WWE. Through her experiences at these notable companies, Mimi now serves as a project manager at Meta. On this episode, Mimi spills the wine on her time at these companies, the great experiences she's had, and the even greater people she's met along the way. We also dive into Mimi's passion for professional wrestling, which started at a young age. With that passion, Mimi has been able to cultivate friendships that have led to the inception of a successful Twitter spaces and her joining the Black Wrestling Team. So grab your glass of wine, we're going in for the three count. We are back with another episode of A Life of a Wrestling Fan. This is our new series where we talk about individuals with amazing careers who happen to also be wrestling fans. And I am joined by Mimi Shells. She is one of the newest people to Black Wrestling, and she also hosts a amazing Twitter spaces that we'll talk about a little bit later on. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Loli? I'm good. <laughs> so Mimi was actually on our Stone Cold Steve Austin episode that we did mm-hmm. a year or two ago. It's mm-hmm. been a while. Yeah, but we've had some interaction on other people's mm-hmm. platforms since then. But it's so amazing to just have this one-on-one conversation with you. Yes, 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 yes. I mean, we've been following each other for a while love your glow up you are doing such amazing things and you're consistent with your content which I absolutely love so I am a fan and I'm just really happy to be here to talk to you let's dive right in when did you become a professional wrestling fan so I I mean I started watching wrestling since I was nine so I've been a fan since I was nine years old religiously going home running home and especially on a Saturday afternoon because I think it came on on Saturdays and um, on Channel 5. And so I used to watch it with my brother-in-law and his friends. My mom hated it because she just felt like it was it was real, you know, right. I come from a Haitian background. And so my brother-in-law and his friends used to come in and, and watch it. And I just absolutely loved it. And I um, Hulk Hogan was my first real wrestling hero, so to speak things have changed (laughs) exactly (laughs) so um but um i say all this to say i just absolutely love the larger of life act characters british bulldogs were my favorite tag team the heart foundation was my favorite tag team loved bret hart i was always a fan of tag team wrestling because of those two teams they just i mean we can go back and watch all those old matches but they were so technical in the ring and i love that and physical definitely afraid of jake the snake loved um ricky the dragon steamboat and so as an adult as you um grow out of it because of middle school and all of those types of things another thing is in school there were there was this thing called reading now where you can 
read for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends, Big Gray Hernandez, who has a show as well, a wrestling show as well, he brought in the Hulk Hogan magazine, WWF magazine. And we were not allowed to read magazines, Uh but he brought a magazine anyway. And he was like my desk mate. So our desks were like in a T. I was here and he was right next to the teacher. Because we both talk too much. So we were always <laughs> both next to the teacher. And so he brought the magazine. I was like, let me see the magazine. So when I saw the magazine, I think Hulk Hogan was on the, the cover. And then WrestleMania 1 happened. And he had the VHS. So he watched it. Yeah, he had the VHS. He watched it. And I took the VHS from him. <laughs> and I never gave it back. And just the other day, I was cleaning out my sister's garage. You still have it? I still have the VHS. That might be worth something. It might be if it wasn't damaged because she had a lot of water damage, but the cover was still intact. Because, you know, remember that big, thick with the plastic? Yes. That one was on it. So middle school happens, high school happened. And then I started watching again when I had my son, when it was on UPN late at night, super crazy, rock, Austin, um, China, crazy stuff happening not really sure what what was going on, but loved the drama. Again, life happens. Moved back to New York because I was living in D.C. at the time. Moved back to New York. And when my son became, I think he was like nine or 10, he kept asking me for the WWE Network. And I was just like, what is that? They're not giving away a pay-per-view for $10. Like, what are you talking about? Right. Like, I'm, Mom, I, I promise you, I promise you. So I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go ahead and pay this $60. So I paid $60 for the pay-per-view, but I never looked back though. <laughs> it was SummerSlam 2014, Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton. I absolutely loved the match. He was a big John Cena fan and it was John Cena versus Brock Lesnar. And the beating that John Cena got had my son crying to tears, called Brock Lesnar a missionary. He doesn't care about the business. Like, a true wrestling fan. I was like, who is this kid, right? <laughs> Do I know you? <laughs> exactly. I was like, doesn't care about the business. He's a missionary. He's only doing it for the money. And I'm like, what? And I didn't even know what that kind of talk meant, right? Because right. at that, uh, what what year was that? Maybe that was 2000. And I was on Twitter, but I didn't know that there was a wrestling Twitter. Mm-hmm. He wasn't on Twitter, but I guess watching the shows, and I knew that he watched it with my nephew, but I didn't know he was getting into it like that. Yeah, so I haven't looked back since 2014. He's since not watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he hasn't watched it in a while. And occasionally he's come in and be like, oh, Roman's heel? Oh, the Usos, wow, they don't do the tribal dance anymore. He used to do the tribal dance. I once, he wanted to be John Cena with the muscles. Mm-hmm. On Halloween, <laughs> I live in Northern New Jersey. I had to drive all the way to central New Jersey to the Party City Warehouse to get the last John Cena muscle costume so we're tell him remember that (laughs) always you better remember that (laughs) so yeah what interested you about wrestling the first time you watched it and what keeps you interested now as a fan I think as a kid I just like the the larger than life stuff like admittedly the women's wrestling at the time was not interesting to me I wanted to see the big guys I wanted to see the larger than lives that's what was interesting. I was not interested in um, the Randy Richters and all of that. It just wasn't interesting. Loved Miss Elizabeth. I thought she was the prettiest woman on the face of the planet. And then as life came on, like 
China was just like to see her wrestle men and just be a true competitor to men. That was interesting and later on in my years. And that was admiring. And then now I've just seen it in so many different stages of where it's been. Now as a fan, I watch it and from working there, knowing both sides, I truly understand to some degree, some of the decisions that they make um, with respect to the business, even before working there, being in, uh, in brand marketing and being in, um, in those brand strategy meetings for other brands and then crossing over. Cause once you have that mindset, you can take it anywhere to any, either a CPG company or a media company or an agent into, into agency life. Like you can take it to all those facets and really understand what's happening and why it's happening. And so understanding media from a brand perspective and understanding how lead-ins happen when you're trying to get the viewerships and how marketing happens when, you know, different um, working at BET and under that whole umbrella with MTV, Nickelodeon, all of them, them asking for specific superstars and why they're asking for those specific superstars makes a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, the kids, they want, they want mom and dad to spend the money right. and mom and dad, you know, it's always a vibe for the parents, right? Who can get their kids the most coolest thing. I don't care what any parent says. That's what it is sometimes, not all the time, <laughs> but sometimes that's what it is. You know what I mean? Christmas, it's making sure that you get the best things if you have it. Right. If you don't have it, that's a completely different story. I've been there both in both mindsets, you know what I mean? Not being able to provide or get that one expensive thing, but making sure that my son does have it because I don't want him to miss out, quote unquote. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Is that good parenting? I don't know. But at the end of the day, I want my kid to be happy. That's where I see it. Right. Um, just understanding why those things are happening. I personally, I really enjoy wrestling right now. I know a lot of people don't. I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're a WWE girl. I am because that's all I know. You know what I mean? I try to watch other products. Sometimes it hits and sometimes it just absolutely doesn't. And no matter how many times I try, it just doesn't. I know the pageantry. I know the, I think presentation is big, especially as a brand marketing person. It's all about the look and the packaging. Something can be gross, but because it looks good, I'm like, Ooh, ooh, ooh. interested and right I'm interested and there's times where it's not been the greatest you know what I mean and it's like wow like I'm surprised they would do something like that but then once you kind of like try to do the checks and balances I'm like okay this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be type mm -hmm. situation. so yeah so you mentioned that you have watched other promotions do you keep up with any of the wrestlers in those promotions since you feel like you really can't vibe with the show Only Anthony Agogo oh. <laughs> and I don't even follow I, I don't even follow him for the right reason <laughs> Jade oh yes I do follow Jade yes I am following see I'm sorry I'm sorry Jade Cargill is a very interesting new talent within the business because she's literally fresh off of just not really being born and bred into the wrestling business. And mm -hmm. we're watching her not in the WWE system. Right. And that's why it's so, her situation is so interesting because it's all about the packaging, right? And she has that. 
And so now we're working on the in-ring, which little by little, I'll just watch that. And Mm -hmm. admittedly, I'll watch a Mox or a Daniel Bryan match because those are the people that I know that crossed over. Right. I did the same thing when Cody went to New Japan or he was kind of like floating around. But I woke up one morning, actively woke up at four o'clock in the morning just to watch his Wrestle Kingdom. I forget what number it was. And I just wanted to understand, but I wasn't, I wasn't sold on that Wrestle Kingdom match, but I was sold on that pay-per-view. Mm. But I knew that I couldn't commit to waking up early in the morning to right. watch New Japan. That I was don't know a how lot. people do it. Oh my God, that was a lot. That was like, and I think I was still late. <laughs> I think I was still late. And then that main event went on way too long. Mm-hmm. Too many false finishes. It was just, it was a lot. And that style was very scary. I was just like, yeah. oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I will say I do tap into outside of WWE because I think that that's important to know other things that are happening. And plus the guys at Black Wrestling, like they're not letting me off the hook with certain things. Like now I put my foot down, like I'm not watching that other show. You can't make me. I've tried to do it four or five times. I'm only watching snippets and segments like you know, when Trish and Willow and her and, and that whole match I was like, oh, I have to see that because I've right. seen Chris wrestle in person at GCW at WrestleMania. And that match between her and MJ Jenkins was amazing. Like it was such a powerful match just to watch the two and not know much about them, you know, just to walk into that experience of being that fresh casual fan. Cause I feel like I am a casual fan knowing that I didn't know anything about it and feeling what I felt like eyes focused that is the feeling of wrestling and I think that whole weekend was just a magical weekend in my opinion I feel like all the wrestling fans came together and it just gave off something different um, that we needed for the past two years that we were lacking I think we needed the break from live events but I think the coming together that weekend made it very very special and um, I go back and I go back to the Jade situation. She feels very special. She feels and, and, and special in a place where she's not in the WWE system. We're watching her growth outside of that. And it's impactful. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's impactful because it's impactful for those that are not in the WWE system that um, and I always say, I think AEW needs to be sustainable. It needs to survive for those folks that WWE might not want to sign. They right. need to have some place to go. So I look forward to that. Thunder Rose, I've been watching her as well. I think she is one of the most talented people on that roster, to be honest. I enjoyed her match with Nyla Rose. I think they did great in that match. And um, I'll admittedly, that one pay-per-view that happened on for an hour on a Saturday. Oh, afternoon. I know. Which, yeah, I think it was the one where all the championships were up for grabs. Yes, yes. yeah. And I actively logged on to watch that, you know? So I have my times where I'm like, oh, this person is going to be, let me just see. Let me just see. Let me go on. Let me just, you know what I mean? So I'm open to those, but I do it in segments. I don't, I won't watch a whole show. Like right. I can't. Yeah. yeah, I get you. You have had an amazing career, which includes companies like BET, Moet Hennessy, and Samsung as an executive assistant to C-level executives. Mm-hmm. How have these experiences treated you? I've had, I've been blessed with very progressive and very open-minded, inclusive managers. And I've had managers of color 
you know, and I've had um, this one particular manager that I met him at Samsung. Um, his name is Vince Hudson. Is very few brand managing, brand strategy executives of color in that space. And he's one of them. Jasmine Allen, who is the head of Hennessy right now, she's another one and she's my, um, she's my mentor. And those two have empowered me not to just be an EA, but to kind of like pull from the basics of being an EA and just making that role and wanting me to make that role for myself. So every EA role that I've had has never been like the typical EA role. I've traveled with my managers. I've done a little bit more. I've, I've been involved in strategic planning with them. I've managed huge budgets by myself um, because we didn't have a lot of manpower. So mm -hmm. I've had to have those types of experiences where after a while I was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to book travel. I don't want to keep somebody's calendar. I don't want to do any of this book expenses. Like I don't want to do any of this. And so the role as an EA has changed throughout the course of time, because I think people like me have said, no, you know what? I can do better. You know what I mean? I, I don't have to go to school to be a secretary. I can do this and this can morph into something else. And now um, I've morphed out of the role into a project manager role at Meta. So there I manage the IT, the IT and content space. So we deal with a lot of copyright infringement, counterfeit stuff, people sending counterfeit stuff. So our team is in charge of breaking that down and I'm in charge of that process from beginning to end. So it's like dealing with the policies as well. So I deal with different work streams, but pushing those work streams from beginning to end and making sure that we close the loop on, you know, any projects or processes that we have that are open. Do you have any favorite memories that you can share from either of these companies that you've worked with in the past? I will say um, Moa Hennessy is one of my favorite places because we did a lot of, it was a lot of traveling there. And I did very minimal EA work. And I think that's what really sets the tone for a lot of the nuances that I have when it comes to planning an event, planning a, a large level meeting. Um, I got my full experience there and they empowered me to empower my skills. And, I, and again, it goes back to the manager. Um, you can work for a company and, and they can have like the worst uh, reputation. But if you have a manager that's supportive, and that pushes you to do the best of the best, you're, that's what you're going to do. You know right. what I mean? And so I think, again, just being blessed with that, being able to travel, being able to have a palette. Like, I know that we talk about, I don't know if you've talked about it, but we've talked about the differences between Moscato, wine, sparkling wine, mm -hmm. champagne. Like, there's a difference. Right. And making sure that, we all know that Moscato is not wine. We all know that, what's the other one? It's Moscato and something else. Just understanding the different levels of it and knowing the right one to do it. So my mom friends always call me a snob because I'd be like, no, please don't bring that Moscato. I don't want the Moscato. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll just bring my own champagne. So I'll in, instead of bringing like a bottle of Moet, I'll maybe bring a bottle of Chandon, which is... Mm -hmm priced at the same level of a Moscato, of a Lamarca, but it's real champagne. Right. That's what it is. It's sparkling. It's champagne. It's sparkling wine. And it did, there's just different levels to it. And I'm, I just used to be like, oh, you're bringing the Lamarca. Okay. I'll just bring my Chandon. 
<laughs> so having that and the whiskeys too, and the tequilas, like I love that place because it taught me the difference between all of the spirits because they have such a big portfolio. And also knowing that if somebody gives you a bottle of wine, don't save it, just drink it. You know what I mean? Because that's what it's for. It's you're here for the moment. And so now it's like, whenever I go someplace, if I'm going someplace for the first time, I'm very intentional on what I bring. I'm not just going to bring just some random bottle of wine. I'm not just going to bring some random bottle of champagne. It's going to mean something, especially if that person means something to me, if that makes sense. It does have me thinking now. Yeah. You don't <laughs> save it. Don't save it. Like I do have champ. I still have champagne, but it's really like the, there's one champagne that I have in there. That's like, it's called the P2. It's the uh, Dom Perignon uh, P2. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's basically fermented like twice. So that's what the P2 stands for. It's been fermented twice. There is a P3, which is super expensive, but being there, working at places like that, you get to do some type of discount or whatever. So right. I was able to indulge and really kind of experience it without breaking my pocket. Mm-hmm. But now like my stash is running a little low, but that's okay. But I know that I have that knowledge that when I go someplace else, I know that I know what to buy. You right. Know you know what the good stuff is. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about WWE. So you were also an employee at WWE. You worked there yeah. as an executive assistant. What department were you in? I was in the CPG department, consumer products. So that t-shirt that you're wearing, that poster in the background, that group was in charge of all of that. Coming in as a WWE fan, what made you want to go to that department? So I initially was supposed to be in another department. I started my, my recruiting journey there to be hired to work with another executive And so that didn't work out. And so I made it to the last round. That didn't really work out because I think a lot of it had to do with the skill set. Like I had a little bit too much skill set and I might've been bored. They were worried I was going to be bored. Mm -hmm. And so then this role, it wasn't a sorry, not sorry type situation. It was a sorry, but we have this other thing for you. Um, And we really want you to just think about it and you know, we'll, we'll circle back. So at first I was like, "Eh." it wasn't a higher executive, but the person was like two levels down from Vince. So that's good because that's those levels matter because it matters in pay scale and it matters on where you are and how much crap you're going to take. Right. So we went ahead and did that interview. It was a great match. And that was another role that empowered me to do so much. My knowledge for the business was impactful and it was um, valued. Uh, she, it was a woman also that was running that department. But at the end of the day, you know how that goes. New leadership comes in and things just are, are just different. But what I will say about that place is I had a wonderful time and I will never take that experience away. That was my dream job at BT. I, I came from BT to there. I wanted to do more and that role and allowed me to do more while being a fan of the product and being able to apply some of that knowledge with the executives that I worked with. And it was so much fun. It was absolutely so much fun, but I did it during the pandemic, which mm. was kind of tricky, you yeah. know, but, and I made, I made it through four, you know, but at that fifth one, you know, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like it was such a, an amazing experience. Did you have the opportunity to meet any superstars or legends in your capacity? 
yes, Bruce Pritchard, I've crossed his path like so many times, you know, was in the elevator with Vince once or twice. Triple H, absolutely. Um, I worked very closely on certain pitches with uh, Stephanie McMahon, who is an amazing, an amazing, amazing role model for all women. And she's basically like the epitome of brand marketing, legitimately, like grew that space in that business the right way. And is just doing such great work and constantly said thank you and empowered me to um, move on to the next thing. And she's just a great, 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 great person. And sometimes I think she doesn't get enough credit. And but, you know, I just loved working with them. Love it. What advice would you give anyone that is looking to possibly enter the world of WWE? I've heard a lot of things before. Do you think being a fan of the product helps? I've heard that WWE does not hire fans. What are your thoughts? And what advice would um, you give? I think that you need to focus on the work focus on your work like honestly if you're in an interview you shouldn't be talking about being a fan right you shouldn't be talking <laughs> about storylines you shouldn't be talking about any of that stuff unless you're interviewing for tr and they're asking you those specific questions you need to be talking about the work and how you can streamline and make their lives a little bit easier or the department a little bit easier or if they don't have any processes how you're going to build those processes and implement those processes and test them to see if they work. That's what it's about. It's not about the fandom aspect of it. I would agree that I wouldn't hire somebody that's talking about being a fan in an interview because that's not, I'm hiring for your skills. That's what I'm hiring you for, not what you think about the product. You know what I mean? Once you focus about the work, you focus about the work environment, if it's HR and how you're going to make that environment uh, a better and easier and stress-free place as a leader, as um, a manager, how you're going to move your employees forward, how you're going to move the company's priorities forward. That's what's important, not anything else. Preach. Very well said. Mm -hmm. You are currently booked and busy as a project manager at Meta. Mm -hmm. How have you liked working there from going to an EA to a project manager? How has the transition been for you? It's been seamless, honestly. It's been seamless because at the end of the day, that's what EAs do. They kind of, but their projects are a little bit different in the beginning. And it all depends on how you take on that work. You can basically somebody say, can you please plan this meeting? And you just put it on the calendar, invite the people, book the food, um, and then you just leave it like that. No, there's more to booking those types of things. And there's the booking of the room, the booking of the calendar invite, the booking of the food, the presentation, making sure that everybody has their pieces in, scheduling a run through, like those types of things set me up for this role. Right. And now, and I'm the only non-lawyer on this team. Um, and now it's, it's, it's basically been interesting dealing with people that are not wired how I'm wired or not even wired how the brand marketer is wired, right? They think on technicalities and they think on what the law is and what the rule is. And they're, and they're very stringent on that. So it's very straight and narrow, you know what I mean? And having you know, kind of like pushing them off the line to kind mm -hmm. of like, oh, okay, maybe, oh, okay, this is how you do, oh, this is the easy way to do it. Yeah. 
that's been one of the things that I've been working on, like just finding out, you know, oh, this is not in place. Okay, we can do this. Th oh, okay, that's an easy way to do it. I didn't think about that. People need you to be able to do that. So it's empowering me to um, take the initiative, especially like if you look at some, some of the documents that are not up to date and, or some of the websites that have old information, they don't think about that. But here I am with my mindset and I'm coming in with that different POV, like, okay, we need to update this, that, and oh, wow, that's, we haven't updated that since 2019. We've been home. So nobody's thinking anything, you know right. what I mean? But here I am a different mind to help them work through those, those updates, you know, and, and the thinking of keeping our, the um, appearance of our, uh, our team with the companies that hop on our page to see, oh, okay, this person is really still here. That person, oh, when is it, when was this updated? Okay. The date is right there. There's no guessing. Circling back on your experience, you mentioned that you've had a lot of interaction with brand management. I have to ask you, do you think wrestling, whether it's AEW or WWE, mm -hmm. do you think we need like a specific PR type of company or something like that for these superstars, these wrestlers? There's been a lot on Twitter and mm -hmm. I think a lot of fans get a bad taste in their mouth when they see the different wrestlers say, you know, something that might be controversial or they feel like they haven't thought about it. Do you think mm -hmm. we need something in place to solidify that brand management when it comes to wrestlers? Yes, because I, I think that they don't think on a cor corporate side. Some of them don't think on a corporate side until later on in their career when they're a little bit more on the higher side or and or if they're they've taken a brand management course. I think. The, the, the most important thing that every superstar should have is media training. I think they need a deep dive on that, not necessarily just talking to media, but understanding how when you're on Twitter, when you're on Facebook, and when you're on Instagram, that that's considered media. And it's you've got to be super careful on what you post, how you post it, and you know certain things to stay away from. Unfortunately, there are topics where it feels like you can't, you have to have a stance, like us as right. fans, we like force them to have a stance on it mm -hmm. because it's so impactful within the world. I feel like in 2016 and in 2020, we needed folks to have a stance because we were at a very harmonious time in our lives. Yeah. And it shaped who certain people are, who they are today. Being closed in, it forced a lot of people to let people know who they were. And so, you know, you might be a fan of somebody and or somebody like Randy Orton, it changed his perspective on life. Mm -hmm. And he was forced to have those tough conversations with his fellow superstars. And they were able to impact his thinking on a positive level, at the very least, to allow him to see it a different way and not necessarily all lives matter, all lives matter, all lives matter. Mm -hmm. You need to understand before one thing can happen, this one thing absolutely needs to happen before you can say that. And right. that's the one thing about Randy Orton that I absolutely love. And he's one of my top superstars is he was, I was able to watch him grow. I wasn't there for his, the beginning of his career, but watching him evolve and be this different person now is great to see, you know what I mean? And he doesn't really get political online, but I think he, we watched him learn. 
through his process and his growth a little bit. And um, some people won't get a wife that can help him get through that. I attest that to his wife, honestly, because I think if he didn't meet his wife and maybe if she wasn't the person that she was to help him see that, and then maybe if his mind was completely closed in and he wasn't able to talk to the new day, he wouldn't be where he is today. And so I commend her, like they say it over time, every behind every great man, there's, there's an even greater woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I commend her for that. Um, cause that was, cause he was, oh my God, one of the most hated people online at one point. And now look like he's just, he's a different guy. And I attest the pandemic, unfortunately to that, because it, it just forced people to kind of like get in their thoughts and really learn and be open-minded. We need to start this media training company. There's people out there that need it. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm all for that. Oh my God. Like you just can't. I remember watching Roddy Roddy Piper's um interview and I wish, I mean, it felt like he was in a different frame of mind, but I wish that he had some media training. I don't know mm-hmm. if he was in the company at the time. No, I think after that that interview, he got fired, right? Something like that. I think so, yeah. I feel like they're in a different place right now where they do provide a lot of support in certain areas. I don't know about the media training aspect of it. I think it is part of their program for their superstars, um, but I don't know the details of the program, but I Mm -hmm. think it just really needs to be a complete overall and a deep dive if they haven't updated that program as of recently. Let's get into your work as a wrestling content creator. You started really diving into wrestling Twitter as an employee at WWE. Did you have any apprehension or nervousness of getting involved on Twitter knowing that you worked for the company? So I was doing content way before I worked for the company, like in 2016. I was doing a few podcasts and I was writing as well. And then I kind of like took a break a little bit and then I got back into it. I was very apprehensive because I just did not want to, I mean, um, confidentiality is always top and front in mind for me. However, I didn't want there to be any perceptions that I was putting out any kind of information or whatever. And I never eluded that I worked there. I didn't want people to know that I worked there really. I put that I was there in my bio maybe three months after I worked there. I was very cautious in doing a lot of podcasts. I only did very few podcasts. And then when I did, I let my manager know um, as when when I did your podcast, because I around that time we were looking, we were doing all that Stone Cold stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bless everybody with a Stone Cold thing. Very and nice. So, yep. And so I was just like, give me the addresses. And then I had the one of the heads of the website. She was able to send everybody their stuff. But yeah, it was important to me because I wanted to make sure that I can, if I decided to do content work at that point. I I had stopped doing a little bit of content work, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I wanted to get back into it because I started enjoying it and really liking what was happening and and just watching the fan reaction after certain things that I knew was going to happen. I love to see that fan reaction of it, but I never wanted to, if I did do content, I absolutely never wanted to be stifled. Like I was always going to give my honest opinion about something. I gave my honest opinion about stuff in the office. They knew I didn't take to Drew they would be like (laughs) Mimi we got a whole oh you don't want those Drew books yeah I was like yeah put them over there like (laughs) but it's joking but they knew 
I was a Roman girl. I was a Randy Orton girl. I was a um, Naomi girl. I was a Charlotte girl. Like they knew who my favorites were. I was a Bianca girl. Like they knew who my favorites were to the point where even um, there was, they were very intentional about um, how the pictures look too, right? And Bianca, you remember when she she would pat her butt? Uh-huh. So there, um, they would come and ask me like, hey, Mimi, her entrance, when she does that, what does she do? And then I would, I did the entrance and I, she was like, oh, they were like, oh, okay. They would pull up the picture. Does this look good for Mattel? Do you think that we should, like, they would ask for my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, yeah, no, we can't do the patent of the butt because you just never know. Right. You gotta be super, and it goes back to the media training. Like you've gotta be super careful, even as an employee, what you approve with the licensees. And they allowed me to be a part of the conversation, which I loved. I loved being a part of that conversation. So I say all that to say like, yeah, I never like to be stifled. And so I was very careful, but I knew that if I did go on a podcast, whatever I said on the podcast, I can walk away. And I knew I was going to walk away feeling comfortable that I didn't divulge and or not like represent the company in a bad way. You host a Twitter space and it's Uh kind of in the format of a podcast. Can you tell us about that and what inspired you and your host April to kick it off? It's myself, April, Ellis Umbe and uh, Corey, my kicks and my fix. So it's the four of us during, I want to say the summer-ish last year, like like April, May-ish. I was like, you know what? I really want to get back into doing like podcasting. So I said, I contacted Ellis. I said, Ellis, would you be willing to do like this Twitter spaces thing? Cause we are very much into the different functionalities in social media. Mm-hmm. He owns his own social media company, which has grown. And I'm super proud of him um, because of that. He basically was like, sure. He didn't know April. He knew Corey, Corey, him. Um, the only person that didn't know each other that was super new to the group was April. And I felt like April was, was a friend of mine and I felt like she would be perfect for the, for the three of us. We met and we just created, we, nobody was really doing a podcast, a wrestling podcast on Twitter spaces at the time. And I was just like, let's kind of corner that. And my main thinking was going back into the brand marketing spaces. I don't want to be pulling and chopping up a video and like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I would rather everybody's on wrestling Twitter and they see you on the spaces oh, what are they talking about? They'll just hop on. It's just natural and it's effortless. Right. I was like, let's just keep it there. It's effortless. Nobody has to chop up any sound and produce and do this, that, and the third. Let's just do it that way. We've been doing it. It Oh my God, it might have, it's almost coming up in a year. If it not, if it's not been a year, we've been doing it for a year. It's effortless. You just press a button and you just go. So I'm waiting for that functionality, which I feel like it might, they might incorporate video to that. If they mm. incorporate video to that, that'll be super game fun. changer. Yeah. yeah. That'll be super fun. It's been a lot of fun um, doing it that way. Again, because it's effortless, you could just roll. I can be in bed and I'd just be like, I'll have it like right here. And I'll just be like, <laughs> yeah, no, this, that, and the third. So um, that was, the, it was just the thought of, I wanted like-minded folks to have fun doing it. It didn't need to be a task. We could just hop on, talk wrestling and hop off. And now we have folks that come in. And um, at first it was kind of hard because it's like, you want everybody to to feel inclusive. Right. Some spaces don't feel inclusive. 
And so now we've got like a nuance where we're kind of like, okay, we're going we're gonna to go in order and we're going to take away your mic. Like you can't just stay up on the stage because then everybody starts talking over each, each other. other. Yeah. And that's not what you want. That's not what you want. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We do it twice a week, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And then right before uh, NXT. And we do it on Fridays after SmackDown. You guys have to join if you haven't already. I was on the one a couple days ago. I just Mm -hmm. listened for a little bit. It was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We have a lot of fun. Ellis is is crazy about his science and all that. And and, and, um, April and I with our, you know, fandom for the Tribal Chief and Randy Orton. But at the end of the day, it's four perspectives. Corey is like the the historian of it all. Like he remembers matches that none of us would. Um, And he kind of like, he's like the records guy because there was a point that I didn't watch wrestling and it's good for us to have him there because he reminds us of what happened. And he remembers like title changes and raw episodes. Like it's crazy, crazy. I mean, I I wish I could have his memory when it comes to wrestling. Oh my God. His memory is nuts. And I just, I appreciate him for that. You are also the newest member of Black Wrestling. Mm -hmm. How did this opportunity come along and how has it treated you so far? I've been having a really good time. I think what happened was I started feeling, have you watched um, Sex in the City? Yes. And just like that. Yes. So I'm a little bit older than the average wrestling fan. And I was starting to feel young. And I always feel young, but I was starting to feel old in this space a little bit. We all have the same priorities, but still age is always like the number is always there. Right. And so they had asked me to come on their show and I was like, sure. And so I knew that it was a show because they had me dying. Every time I listen to them, it's always a, a, a key. For me, like I'm here just absolutely dying, dying in the group chat, like just dying. And so they asked me to come on and I came on and I felt like I was sitting on the couch listening to my brothers talk about wrestling, talk about dumb and just just giggle, right? And so they would have these little, you know how like you make these little references some people get it and some people don't. Right. Well, apparently I got some of the references. And then the next day after that, they were like, hey, do you mind hopping on a, a quick meeting? We want to just talk to you about something. We had an idea or whatever. Originally, it was supposed to be prediction shows and specials. And they were opening up a Patreon and I would just be on the Patreon. And I'm just having so much fun that now I'm doing the shows every Thursday. And it's just good to know that they're guys within my same age rank and we like the same things and we're having fun doing it. And basically I call it, I found my OGs. I found my OGs that like wrestling, that talk uh, TV content, that talk sneakers, that talk fashion, that talks everything. And they're such smart guys within their own scope that it's just, it's empowering And it's great because at the end of the day, I didn't know what I was getting into, but I was just like, it's whatever, because I felt like I knew them on Twitter, interacting with them on Twitter, and then being on these two podcasts. So when I saw them at WrestleMania, it was the first time we all got together for the first time. It felt natural and it felt so Mm -hmm. much fun. And honestly, like chivalry is something that's gone in this world, I kind of feel. 
And I felt between them and Andrew Bagdala, who's another guy that hops on our spaces sometimes, he's like our special guest host. Andrew and the guys, I introduced them as well. I introduced April to them as well. And it felt like it was not like it was just the best of both worlds. Like at one point, all of us were together, except Drew didn't, didn't meet them yet. But it was me and April with them. We met them the night before her birthday and they bought her a drink. Like they're just such good guys. You know what I mean? And you felt felt safe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can meet people and they can just be like, they act like they're your friends on online. But then when you meet them, it's a completely different vibe, which but there was there was some of that too. Oh. Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter because my peoples gave me the vibe that I needed. And right. that was anything that I could have asked for. You know what I mean? April felt safe. I felt safe. We would switch back and forth between Drew and them. And it was it was just so much fun. That weekend was my first WrestleMania. I will not take that away. April was a perfect person for me to be there with to experience that. Drew and the guys from Black Wrestling. You know, it, it doesn't feel like a locker room. It feels, I feel, again, empowered, supported. Whatever my thinking is, I don't feel like I'm being judged and I don't feel like I'm being like trampled on. You know, I have a voice and the fact that they wanted a woman's perspective felt good and they wanted my perspective. It felt good. It felt good. Where do you see yourself in the future in terms of the wrestling community? Do you have any projects that you'd love to work on or anything that you'd like to branch out to? Um, This was a passion project that morphed into something else, honestly. People knew my account and that's all it is. It's not, no, I'm not looking for notoriety. I'm just looking to have fun in the space. I'm not trying to be the popular girl. I'm just trying to have fun in the space and I'm having fun in the space. I want to write. That's what they've empowered me to do, to be able to write on their website and house all my work. And I think I'm enjoying writing now that I was before in 2017, 16, Mm -hmm. 17. And I'm writing about other things rather than wrestling, because I think life is more than wrestling. There's other things out there. So writing about those other things have been able, has allowed me to flex my muscles a little bit. And I want to be published in the New York Times. So I hope that that's my, that's my goal. Like my goal is to, I don't want to be forward facing. I want to be, I want to be a writer. That's what I want to be. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to write an op-ed, even if it's an op-ed one time and it's in the New York times, I will die a happy woman. Legitimately, (laughs) legitimately in essence, in like any of those magazines, I will die a happy woman manifestation yeah i put it out there all the time (laughs) all the time thank you mimi so much for joining me here on wrestling wind down where can the people find you on social media you can find me on twitter at i am mimi shells and on instagram at it's mimi shells and on tiktok with low as i am mimi shells the wrestling chick Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wrestling Wind Down. You can find all of our other episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at WWDCAST. Let us know what you thought about the episode. What was your favorite part? Until next time, enjoy your wine, and of course, enjoy your wrestling. Cheers! Cheers.